Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. So good to be here, um, being able to um, share the Word of God and be with Jason Lives. You guys are doing a fantastic job. How many of you are grateful for Jason Lives and their family? You could have picked any city, but you picked Perth. I mean, you responded to the call of God. And um, we honor you. And on behalf of Newman Church leadership, Pastor Corey and the rest of us on the fivefold executive and your extended family in Melbourne, I bring you greetings. It's good to be with you all. You guys are amazing. We hear the great testimonies um, from Pastor Jason. And we are so excited for what God's doing here. And I'm so excited to be with you this evening. How many of you are excited for the word? Awesome. Let's go there. All right. If you have your Bibles, um, again, you will be given a free upgrade. If you don't, we'll pray for you at the end of the service. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 35. We're going to do some heavy lifting in the Word today. So I want you to partner with me, all right? Turn your phones to silent mode. Get off Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is. And we're going to go with some heavy reading um, this evening. Genesis chapter 35, verse 1 to 15. I love re reading the Word of God. Um, when I was growing up in, in the underground church, this thing was contraband goods. And this used to be smuggled out risking life and limb. So I love this. You know, um, in the hotel lobby last night, I'm, as I got into the elevator, this is a heavy lift, heavy duty Bible. I'll tell you why I have such a heavy Bible. It's to, it's um, also doubles up as body armor, bullets flying. Um, <clears throat> so as I got into the elevator, this lady said, oh, that's a big book. I said, it's not just a book. It is the book. And she said, oh, it says study Bible. You must be a student. I said, yep, we always have to be a student of the Bible. And she said, well, um, have a great day studying your Bible. I said, I will. Um, let's turn to Genesis chapter 35, verse 1 to 15. God said to Jacob, arise. It's time for the church to arise. Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them. So they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. And he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel. Because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. 
verse 9 onwards, God appeared to Jacob again. And so when he came from Paden Aram and blessed him, God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I give to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Tonight, I want to talk to you on the topic, Back to Bethel. In 1996, a pastor in his mid-40s was invited to lead a church. Not a big church, not a big prominent city, but just another church in, in an unknown part of America. He was a fifth-generation pastor, and there were about 2,000 people in this church, and it was going pretty smooth. They wanted to make a clean, smooth transition. And this pastor, he had encountered the Lord in a revival meeting in Toronto. And so when he was asked to take up this church, he said the only condition that he put forward with the leadership of the church and the board of the church is this, that the mission, vision, and value of the church will always have to remain centered around revival. That's the only condition of employment. And they said, sure, that's how hectic can revival be. So they took him on board, and overnight, this leader, this man of God, came and changed a lot of things and put the focus around revival. A year later, over 50% of the church had left. Because the message was too hard, too heavy, too heavy duty. But 26 years later, this church has impacted the city and has put this city on the world map. 10% of the city attend the church. They call it their home. It's influenced politics. It's influenced music, worship. We sing some of their songs. It's influenced the culture around it, and it's gone from revival to reformation of that city. I'm talking about Bethel Church in Redding, California. Some of you would have been there. How many of you have been there? A few of you. Two weeks ago, some of our leaders went over to Bethel, and the one prominent thing that they kept talking about this church is the hunger that these people have carved a niche they have an insatiable appetite for the presence of God. And after 30 years, they still retain that hunger. At the start of this passage that we just read, we meet Jacob at the lowest point a man can be in his life. Chapter 34, his daughter had just been raped and his sons went all Taliban on the town. In response, Jacob is gripped by the fear of man. And Jacob is no stranger to the fear of man. It was the fear of his brother Esau, the fear of man that caused him to flee his family home in the first place. It was the fear of man that made him buckle under the pressure 
of an uncle who was a little bit dodgy for 20 years. It was the fear of man that made him flee his uncle Laban once again. And it was the fear of man, Esau's revenge that he was afraid of, that it made him stagger his journey and send his wives and kids ahead. I'm telling you, if a man sends his wife and his kids into danger first, that guy is pretty scared. Wives, please report such men. Our pastor will be laying hands on them, and uh, we will deal with them in the dining room later. Now, all of you are bold men. But you see how the fear of man, the, rep the, the revenge from society, people around him, had boxed him, had consumed this man's heart, had gagged him and put him into a place. He had lost his peace. He had lost his identity. He had lost his vision on what God was about to do in and through his life. Jacob had spent most of his life in this box, this box of fear, this box of running away, this box of no clarity, this box of not knowing where he's going to end up tomorrow, this box of being shortchanged, this box of being uncertain about what his life would amount to. So tonight, if you're like this man, Jacob, if you find yourself boxed up in any of the circumstances of life, worn out and exhausted, and you're gagged by the fear of man, this passage invites us into five things I want to share with you this evening. Firstly, return to your first love. Verse 1, God says to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. You know, personal revival begins when you find your way back into your first love, the presence of God. That's where it all begins. When Jacob left his home as a refugee, God's presence encounters him. Jacob didn't initiate it. God initiated. God's presence encounters him. It embraces him and vows to bless him and make him a great nation. This tangible encounter makes Jacob come out of his snooze snooze. And then he gets up and goes into worship mode. And then he anoints that rock and he names that place Bethel. Surely God is in this place. He makes a vow that if God brings him back in one piece, in peace, he will return to Bethel and establish God's house and give a tenth of all that he has. Yet, after decades of experiencing the highs and lows of life, here is this man who has returned and settled with his family in a completely different place called Shechem. Now, Shechem to Bethel is only about 30 miles apart. But he did not return to Bethel as he had vowed to God. Isn't it true that you can live close to the presence of God and not yet be in it? Isn't it true that as believers, we can keep the presence of God at an arm's distance? What's that arm's distance? Well, a Sunday experience, a Thursday experience, or a Tuesday experience. But what God's inviting Jacob and what he's inviting here, all of us, is not just to pay an annual pilgrimage to Bethel or the presence of God, but to dwell in it. You can be in church and not be drawn to your first love. You can sit in service after service for decades and miss the power and presence of the Almighty God. 
You can lead life groups. You can lead ministries. You can serve on teams and lead churches and still miss it. And it took an existential crisis for this man and a prompting from God to bring, to come to a place of awakening to tell his family, you know what? It's not working. Let's go to Bethel. God's commandment to Jacob was not to visit Bethel, but to dwell in it. And so tonight, what I want to encourage all of us is this. Personal revival begins when we choose to return and make the presence of God our dwelling place. Just like this church in Redding, California, over the last 30 years, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of men and women have traveled over there and had a tangible encounter with the presence of God. Why? Is it because God favors that city over Perth or Melbourne or Sydney? No, it's because that bunch of people, that group of people pay a premium. They pay a price in creating a space in their life to host the presence of God. And so tonight, I want us to know, if you want to encounter revival, you don't have to pack your bags and go to Melbourne, to Numa Church. I have good news for you. I have good news for you. You don't need to get a visa and go to America to experience it. You can cultivate the presence of God in your backyard. You can cultivate the power and presence of the Almighty God in your church. You can cultivate and open the doors and allow the Holy Spirit to move in your kids' ministry, your young adults' ministry, your youth ministry, your life groups. Every time two or three people in the name of God gather together, there He is in their midst. But the question is, how willing are we? How hungry are we and how thirsty are we? Everyone talks about the thousands of people who were added to the early church. Isn't it amazing that 3,000 people can get added to a church with not even an address? They didn't have a postal code. They didn't have a permanent address. They were renting a place like this. Everyone talks about the 3,000 that got added to that church, but nobody talks about the 120 who had consecrated themselves and locked themselves in for 10 days in the upper room. I strongly believe that every church in this city and in this nation is only 10 days away from revival. The question is, who's willing to pay the price for that 10 days? Oh, it's tight but it's right. The second thing that we find in this passage, get rid of your idols. In verse 2, Jacob makes it clear to his family and his household, hey, these things can no longer coexist to where we're headed. If we are going to Bethel, we need to bury some stuff here. We need to throw them in the bin. It's interesting to note that up until that point, Jacob was familiar with the idols being around his house. Oh, there's another one. There's Baal in the living room, and there's uh, Asherah in the kitchen, and whatever. He was aware of its presence. It was not new news to him. So much so that his own wife flicked a few idols from her dad's house as she was getting up onto her Cadillac and heading to this new place. You know what I'm talking about. Cadillac is camel. Um, <clears throat> but he didn't make a protest or he didn't kick up a stink when Rachel was taking a few idols along on the journey. 
But here's the thing. When you have an encounter with God, you become, you become aware of the idols that you need to get rid of. The idols of our life and the presence of God somehow will never coexist. They will never mix together. And the question tonight is, well, we might not have physical idols in our house. We might not have portraits we worship to or burn incense to. We don't have any such idols. The question here is, do we have other idols? Those idols that have become acceptable and become the norm in our society. Social media. The urge to compare yourself with others. Has that become an idol? It's like the new mirror gazing. You know, back in the day, people would stand in front of a mirror. I had hair. Um, and stand in front of the mirror for ages and think, what's better? But social media is the new mirror. You would spend hours gazing into your life and trying to make it better than someone else's. Or you're gazing into someone else's. Have you noticed that in, on social media, every night's date night, Everyone's healthy. No one's sick. Everyone's got going on holidays. Everyone's got all the money. I'm telling you, fake news. Fake news. Because it's not that. There's stuff on the inside. And, and we need to make sure that we haven't substituted physical idols with other idols that are norm in our society. Looking into a screen for hours. TV. Addiction to watching just stuff endlessly, mindlessly just staring into a screen for hours. Has that become an idol? Has our career become an idol? Hello. Coming from an ex-addict, career was an addiction. You know, overwork was such a badge of honor, Pastor Jason. You would love to stand in, you know, the social circles and tell people how hard you're working. Every time they ask you, I didn't see you at the birthday or didn't see you in church. Oh, work is really busy. It's just crazy. And so it had become an idol. So career can become an idol. Family can become an idol. Your children can become an idol. Your ministry can become an idol. Anything that seeks to set its throne above Jesus is an idol, period. Anything that tries to replace the throne of God on your heart and wants to take your attention, divert your attention, and, and worship away from God to itself is an idol. And it might not look like bronze statues anymore, but it's, it's out there. It's out there to get our attention. And so how do we deal with it? Well... We can find encouragement in how Jacob dealt with it. He buried it once and for all. He told nobody the GPS coordinates of where he buried it. My encouragement to all of us tonight is don't recycle it. Don't repackage it. Don't put it in long-term storage thinking that it'll come handy one day. When God's presence brings an awareness and a conviction to you, hey, this particular thing of your life takes more time than your devotion to me. Let's deal with it. Let's be honest enough in covenant family to speak about it. Let's create space in our life groups to talk about it. Let's talk to our leaders about it. Let's talk to 
those who are a few chapters ahead of us in the journey of life to counsel us and to, um, to mentor us in that space. But the main thing is this. In the presence of God, he never condemns or punishes or mocks us for the idols in our lives. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not, he doesn't ridicule us. He doesn't make a public spectacle of us. Every time we open our doors for the presence of God, he gives us an opportunity to experience his loving kindness. And it's that loving kindness that leads us to repentance. And the awareness of God's holy presence empowers us to rid, get rid of the mud for the gold. The third thing that we see here, God's power frees us from the fear of man. God's power evicts the fear of man. In verse 5, up until that point, Jacob's biggest fear was that him and his entire family is going to be massacred. But when he made a decision that, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to Bethel. We're returning back to the presence of God. We're returning back to the things of God. God took care of his enemies. God took care of all his fears. And it says in verse 5, the terror, and as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. I'm praying for the day when there's a terror of God operating in our cities. I'm praying for the day that the terror of God would fall upon people who seek to undermine and gag the church. I'm praying for the day that there is a holy presence of God, just like in, in the days of great revival in the last 500, 600 years, when the city would know that God is up to something. Now, it wasn't a thing that was contained in a building. It was a thing that was unleashed over a city. I'm believing for the day Perth. The biggest headlines in Perth would be revival breaking out in Perth. I'm believing for the day that the, the destiny of this nation is that we are the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. We're not a divided nation. We're not a nation on the brink of collapse. We are a nation in the Holy Spirit. And I'm believing that as the church rises up to its destined place of creating room in, in, in the Holy Spirit, in your homes, in your churches, in your altars, wherever you go, in your city streets, in your universities, when you carry the power and presence of God, when you welcome that in, a nation gets on its knees. Revival definitely visits a city and a nation when the church rises up to do its job. In just one moment, Jacob's fears had been dealt with by the protection of God. And you know, too often we miss revival because of the fear of man. We are constantly thinking, and it might not be the fear that it's talked about here. You might not have a fear for your life, but do you fear others' approval? Do you fear for others' validation? Do you fear what people are going to think of you? Do you fear that you will be misunderstood? Do you fear that you will lose your friends? Do you feel that if you talk about Jesus, you'll become an outcast in your workplace? It's the fear of man. It drains us. It distracts us. And it takes us away on a detour from the Bethel of God's presence. The fear of man makes us conscious 
to what others think of us, and yet at the same time makes us unconscious to what God thinks of us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, we read, We can confidently say that the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. When you draw near to God, He takes care of the fears of your life. The next thing we read is, God's plan for revival is way bigger than you. In verse 10, God's plan for reviving Jacob did not end with Jacob. God had a plan for Jacob, and Jacob thought, oh, it's all for me. I've just hit the jackpot. No, Jacob, it's beyond you. You've also got a name change. There is a destiny in you. There's a nation in you. There are kings and queens in you. Your nation will become a great nation. It was beyond Jacob. God intended the revival of Jacob's life to flow to his family, his community, his descendants. When revival starts with us, it never ends with us. It must, it's, its design is that it never ends with us. Too often, believers are praying for, Lord, start revival in the city. Lord, start revival in someone else. God's plan is that revival starts with us and then flow to others. It's never the other way around. Too many people I've heard hearing this, Lord, send revival to Australia. Lord, send revival to Melbourne. Hey, how about, Lord, send revival to my home? And that's why the song says, Lord, send revival, start with me. When we commit our, our lifestyle to the true north of God's presence, and God's revi revival, it begins to change the way our church worships. Begins to change the way our neighbors respond to the gospel. Begins to change the way our laws are written in our land and the way future generations see Jesus. Remember this, revival is not a conference. It's not lengthy meetings. It's not a season. It's not everybody making a pilgrimage to a building. It's actually a lifestyle. It's the restoration of a lifestyle where people pursue the presence of God and have such great intimacy with the power and presence of God. In John chapter 4, Jesus broke through the great wall of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. He had no reason to go through that road, but he took a detour. He sent his disciples away. He sent them away to get some bread, and then he met this lady at the well, the Samaritan woman. What he did and restored in her that particular day paved the way for a city to hear the good news. What happened in John chapter 4 later translates to revival of the entire city in Acts chapter 8, where Philip goes to the city and this city is called a city filled with joy. Why? Because one man broke through, one man represented God, one man stepped in through the gap, and one man opened the door for God's presence to come in to a city that was completely rejected. Later on in Acts chapter 8, you see Peter and John were sent to lay hands on the Samaritan people to receive an infilling of the Holy Spirit. A few years before or even a few months before, that would have been unimaginable. Why? Because they were considered the scum of the earth by the Jews. But one man, one righteous man, is all it took 
to break through that wall. I believe and I have hope for every city in our country. All it takes is one righteous man or woman breaking through. I'm so grateful that we as a church have a history, a legacy of the last 97 years. The first Pentecostal church here in Australia started in Richmond, Victoria, 1916, in the Sunshine Revival. And it's that spiritual legacy that every single person sitting in this room has. Numa Church traces its origins to a man named Seal Greenwood, who in 1916, uneducated man, didn't know how to read and write, opened the door for meetings to be conducted in his living room. And from there to where it's now, I thank God for the number of men and women who over the last 97 years have lived a life of revival, holiness, intimacy, and sacrifice. And they've paved the way even for me, someone like me who's come from the Middle East, to have a home church, to be a part of this church, to be a part of this great legacy. What will be told of us when our time here is done? I want us to be a generation in Australia that committed their whole life to seeing the future generations saved and won to the kingdom of God. And finally, a lifestyle of worship flame, keeps the flame of revival going. In those 15 verses that we read, verses 1, verses 7, and verse 14, it's clear that worship of God is central to experiencing revival. Jacob's arrival in Bethel marked many, many more encounters that would change his destiny. And it reminds me, worship is not just a 30-minute song segment in church that we do. It's a lifestyle. Countless lives have been changed and transformed in one moment in worship. But what if worshiping Jesus was the center of our life and not just a moment? What if, what if worshiping Jesus was the tent we all dwelled in rather than the booth we visited once a week? I want to give you an example. Two weeks ago, some of my friends went to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministries and they were just attending or just watching what was happening in this classroom setting. And they said, the lecturer walked into the classroom with a piece of paper with a bit of scribbling on it. With no PowerPoint presentations, nothing, just a few scribbles. And as the word of God was open and it was being taught, the power and presence of God just hit the place. And the whole thing turned into a weeping ceremony. People were coming out, confessing their sin, literally having an impartation. And it was the same thing with Jesus. The classroom was always in session when Jesus was around. It wasn't a place that he invited for a 15-minute TED Talk. If you hung around with Jesus, the classroom was always in session. The kingdom of God was always open. The neon lights, the kingdom of God is here, was always lit. What if we believers, the church in Perth, Numa Church in Perth, went around with that neon light saying the kingdom of God is here everywhere we went. Wouldn't it be amazing that the people we encountered on a daily basis got a slice of heaven? You don't know where they're at. You don't know how empty their tanks are. You don't know how many minutes they're away from suicide. 
I'll give you another example. A few weeks ago, one of our staff members in the middle of this massive worship moment, he is from God, say, go and tell this woman my words. And so she goes up to this lady and says, this coming week, God will interrupt you in the middle of a work call. Obey whatever he says. Now, how many of you know if someone walked over to you and said that, you'd be a bit frightened, wouldn't you? So she's obedient. She tells this girl, hey, this is what I heard from God. This is what you ought to do. See you later. Walks back. On Wednesday, this girl's in a Zoom meeting, work meeting, and she hears the prompting word, voice of God say, leave this meeting. She's like, well, can I leave in 15? No, go now. So she messages her boss on the side and says, hey, I got to just step out of this. Do you mind if I turn my camera off and just be on call? I just need to step out of the house. And, and the guy says, no, sure, wor no worries, just go ahead. So she gets out of the house, goes to a car. As she's about to open the door of the car, she sees a bag, a gift that she had bought for a friend in March. And it's been lying on the back seat of this car since then. So because the Zoom call's going, she can't bring her friend. So she jumps in the car and decides to drive to a friend's house. So this is something like 1.30 in the afternoon. She drives to a friend's place. The call finishes up. She knocks on her door. The friend comes out. She's like, what are you doing here? She's like, uh, I've been a really bad friend. Here's your birthday gift. Um, I've been having it in my car since March. The, and I just felt God was telling me to come see you. And this lady breaks down in tears and collapses to the ground. Because inside her house, in the next five minutes, she was preparing to take her life. Wouldn't it be amazing if that was our testimony? Every day, God sent messengers to have an encounter with the people of our city. And we would go to our people in, in the midst of this city. And we would be the voice. Like Isaiah said, here I am, send me. If we create room in our, our homes every morning, Lord, who do you want me to speak to? Where are you sending me to? Who can I encourage? Hey, just because people come to church, they need a lot of encouragement. I need a lot of encouragement. Your pastor needs a lot of encouragement. Just because we've got titles doesn't mean we've got it all figured out. Just because we are in ministry doesn't mean we've figured it all out. So I'm just encouraging all of us that if you keep this lifestyle of worship alive and thriving, revival becomes a reality in every area of your life. Hunger is what fuels a culture of worship. When hunger fades, the presence of God goes from being a river to a stagnant pool. And then all we are left with is talk about the old glory days. We've got nothing to account for today. All we can talk about is the past. Two weeks ago, I had the privilege of meeting John and Carol Arnott. How many of you know them? They were the leaders of the um, Toronto revival in the 1990s. Um, amazing couple. And they were telling me, what happened in Toronto lasted about six years. But at the start of revival in 1996 in Toronto, 16 pastors from Brazil 
had showed up one night. So John took them to a room, got the leaders around them, laid hands on them and prayed. Guess what? Revival in Brazil is still going on. The move of God in, I mean, that original revival in Toronto stopped in six years. But for the last 28 years, it's still been going on in Brazil. Brazil is in the midst of a massive harvest. Why? Hunger. The hunger and that expectation was the key difference. Now, these are not my words. This is John and Carol Arnett, who had just come from a trip in Brazil saying this. The difference between the Western church and what God's doing in some other parts of the world is hunger. People don't put logic and reason and get in the way. People don't let their comforts, their creature comforts get in the way. People don't let their lifestyles get in the way. There's a massive hunger. I can tell you the next revival is not just going to be one that is in a building. It's going to be a revival of hungry hearts. It's going to be a revival of first love. It's going to be a revival of God's people thronging to the ends of the earth in, in, in a deep restoration of worship, in a lifestyle of relationship. On the 28th of August, 2022, when our services at Melbourne City began at 9 a.m., people thronged to the front and surrendered their lives. And they told God, we want, I want you to be my first love. I'm returning back to my first love. It was followed by hours of confession of sins, people lying on the altar just weeping, wailing, and confessing their sins. In that moment, people rejected everything else that had become an idol in their lives. The fear of man left the building. Hundreds of people weeping and wailing. Demons coming out everywhere. Once the fear of man had left and people were ushered into a moment of honest worship, revival broke out. It was like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. I actually thought the roof's going to cave in. And over the last eight weeks, in our location in Melbourne, there's been a powerful move of God, a tangible move of God. You cannot enter that place and not feel electrified. In all of chapter 34, God's not even mentioned once. But in the 15 verses of chapter 35, God is mentioned 11 times. When we saturate every area of our life with God's presence, His plans, His purposes, he cleans up the mess and the chaos of every preceding chapter of our lives. It is in revival that Jacob went from being a deceiver, a man on the run, a man of sorrows, to being a true carrier of God's presence and promise. In revival, God had transformed this average person who was drowning in the worries of his life to eventually being a patriarch of God's promise, a true grandson of Abraham. It is in revival that he went from being Jacob the deceiver to Israel the overcomer. Revival's not easy. It's not quick. It's not easily bought off the shelf. It's messy. It takes time. It takes surrender. It takes a God to chip away at your old habits, your old idols, your old ways, and your old fears. 
But if we allow ourselves to be wrestled to the ground and we make room to dwell in the presence of God, He can flow in and through us to the rest of our church, to our families, to our city, and to our nation. Revival may manifest in large crowds and large multitudes, but it always, always begins as a small spark in a single heart. I'll say that again. Revival may become manifest in multitudes, but it always starts as a small spark in a single heart. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.